it's anyway. wonderful for all of you to come and join us on such a cold and frigid night. I'm so honored that you've come all this way just to see little old us, just to listen, listen to us talk about comics. So, you know, we're close to episode 100 and we should have a conversation about episode 100. Um, oh, soon. let's take fan suggestions. I have, I have an idea. Oh, okay. I want to hear your idea later, but yeah. any, if anyone has like party ideas for 100 <laughs> episodes of comic related podcasts, drop us a line. Yeah. Know what we should do. Yeah. Clip episode? No, let's not do a clip episode. JD would combust. Oh, <laughs> Do it what? <laughs> like if I was no, show. unless you're gonna hire an editor. <laughs> Remember the time that we <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be a lot of fun. I think I mentioned before I have an idea for a, uh, a trade waiter zine that I still Ooh. think we should do at some point because we've either mentioned a lot of terminology or I tried to invent some terminology for talking about comics. Uh, and I think we should have a zine that's like a little dictionary. That's a cute idea. I like but that. But the problem, Jamie. the reason I haven't done anything with that is that I have to go back and listen to 94 episodes and pick out the parts where we mentioned things that I've since forgotten. Well, why can't we just make it up? <laughs> I have a good, have just a good little like lingo zine. I'm sure we can come up with a lingo zine without having to re-listen to 94 episodes. Sure. We all we'll see. I, I think maybe maybe we can we should think about it anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great idea. I you know what I I think I just want to like binge listen to 94 episodes of Trade Waiters because I haven't really uh, I mean go for it. I've listened <laughs> to all of them at least once. Yeah. But, I listened yeah. to a bunch of them recently and it's pretty fun actually to re-listen to stuff. Oh, I think I remember why, because Kate mentioned our podcast. Oh yeah. Kate, Kate Beaton heard us talking about her. Oh my God. Uh, and so I re-listened to Ducks because the way my anxiety works is like, oh no, Kate heard it. What did I say? I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm pretty sure Dershing Helmer saw the Kate Beaton tweet yeah. and also listened to her episode. <laughs> so embarrassing. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, like, I think for me, the fact that the feedback was positive, I was like, Oh, well, then this is fine. Like, you know. Yeah, but I don't know. You got it. I, I also did that. I also went back and listened to the sequel. I'm glad it's not my only brain worm, you know, like. Not <laughs> I even. mean, I did. I also did listen to our Ducks episodes, but I mean, I was pretty confident that we must not have said anything horrible or Kate Beaton wouldn't have like tweeted me like <laughs> for such a nice, thoughtful set of episodes about my book yes. <laughs> that is a, a specific brand of a very a very canadian brand of passive aggressiveness yeah for that but i don't think that see that's like to, uh, a kate beaton behavior sub sub tweeting i mean i'm, I'm where you like directly link the thing yeah. and say something no. nice about it but actually you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm i personally Long am excited game. to read uh, Adrian Tomine's next comic where he depicts uh, crying while listening to people talk about his book on a podcast. <laughs> that I was actually worried about. Oh my God. See, this is why we have to make our own zine and scoop it. Yeah. You no, know, that's, that's the tactic is to make fun of yourself before anyone else can make fun of you. <laughs> Thank you.
we have gathered here today to talk about something else. It's a it's a comic, I think. <laughs> talking about a comic. Uh, yeah. So are we gonna just let let's jump into it, eh? So today, guys, thank you so much for reading this. It's essentially a random comic that I randomly found in the library. I'd never heard of before, and I got obsessed with it, and I had no one to talk to about it. I forced these two guys to read it and I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. But today we are reading, the English name is Descending Stories. The Japanese name is Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, which a more direct translation is Showa Era Rakugo Double Suicide, which I think is- That's a better title. A much cooler name. Descending Stories doesn't really make sense, but it's a lot easier to remember. Um. I don't know. I feel like this is this is a complete tangent, but I feel like publishers are afraid of long titles, and I love long titles. Give me titles that take up half the cover. <laughs> not not lately. Not lately. The light novel thing has kind of permeated comics at this point, permeated manga anyway. And so, like all of the titles are like, I can't believe my roommate was secretly a slime all along. How embarrassing! <laughs> like that's the title of the manga series now. Like it's getting a little bit extreme there's a great video i can link to you on you know this this nerd who i love made a long video essay which i also love uh (laughs) where she actually like charted the increasing length of titles like word by word and drew like a graph (laughs) over time about it so good but yeah i don't know how i feel about it it's a little weird showa erorakugo double suicide published by kodansha comics is what we're reading today we are going to read books one and two if you're reading it by chapter, because some of the places that host it do it by chapter, uh, it is Yotaro's Odyssey, chapters one through five, and Yakumo and Sukuroku, chapters one and two. And these comprise Tankoban one and two, so books one and two. So next we're going to do a character building question. I have a character building question for the two of you. It took me a while to figure out what the heck Rakugo was. And one of the reasons why I love this book so much is because it's about an art form I had never heard about. And eventually I figured out that it's kind of stand-up comedy. It's like old timey stand-up comedy where you only recite the, the exact same stories over and over again different people recite the same stories from the Edo period. But the closest analog I could come up with is stand-up comedy, which is not close, but the closest. Uh, So my character building question for you both is, have you ever gone to see a famous live comedian? Ooh. Oh. Uh, Jeff should answer this first. He's going to have a longer answer than me. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, Like, uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and I don't even know where to start because uh, I love stand-up comedy. I sometimes have tried to find parallels between stand-up comedy and comics. I think sometimes because when I introduced myself to people as I make comics, people are like, oh man, I could never stand in front of a brick wall and tell jokes. And I'm like, (laughs) don't think you really heard what I said, but uh, (laughs) thank you. Um, But no, I, the, I think like, I don't, like, I don't think I could be a stand-up comedian, but I am fascinated by stand-up comedians. Uh, there's a series on H- HBO that, on Crave uh, that I just watched called The Dark Dark Side of the Mic or something. And Ooh. it was like all these little mini documentaries about comedians. And like, anyways, love comedy. I'm obsessed with comedy. I try to go to Northwest Comedy Fest every year. So this year, 
me and my partner got to see Margaret Cho at the Vogue. Oh, cool. It was amazing. Uh, I have seen Patton Oswalt. I have seen Bill Burr. I have seen, I've seen a lot of the kids in the hall. I saw Dave Foley. I saw Bruce McCullough. Oh, cool. Uh, I saw, let's see, I have not seen Mark McKinney. But yeah, anyways, I've seen lots of famous uh, stand-up comedians. Um, I actually went to a like uh, an open mic at Havana's on Commercial Drive, which is a little tiny, like nothing venue that has a comedy night hosted by Graham Clark, who's like a local celebrity comedian. And just out of nowhere, Brett Butt just went on stage and just did a bunch of material because like oh, awesome. he's friends with Graham and he just wanted to try stuff out. So I got to see Brett Butt for like $5 or something. Wonderful. Um, yeah. That's um, fun. I could talk about comedy forever, but um, yeah, so, <laughs> seen lots of comedians, uh, I guess just because the most recent one I saw was Margaret Cho. Um, I will just say the thing that I found the most amazing about seeing Margaret Cho is because like Margaret Cho has been doing stand-up comedy for decades. And I don't think she had a set list. I think, and I could be wrong, but the, the, the impression I got from the show was that she walked out on stage and just like free-formed the entire thing. Wow. And the fact that she could even give you that impression is like, yeah, you know, she's like, a pro. She had specific talking points but it was like, basically she would like bring up something uh, really political that was concerning to her. And then she would soften it by telling a really, really dirty joke and going on a big <laughs> dirty tangent. And then she'd go right back to her point and like, and then she'd go to another political point and then she'd tell a dirty joke. And then wow. like, yeah. And it was, it was amazing. It was like uh, almost like a stream of consciousness, but I feel like that's the confidence an ability when you're doing this job for so long that you you just it just feels natural right yeah great stuff so i've talked awesome. enough <laughs> all right uh, how about you jd I'm, uh i'm jd and i think the closest thing i've been to is uh, i went to an improv show in vancouver once okay that's it though i don't think i've actually been uh okay. in person with a comedian before i do have a follow-up so if you've never seen someone who, living or dead, which comedian would you love to see live? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Oh. Uh, I don't have a good answer. Okay, well, think about that. And I'll tell you my little mini story. So uh, I grew up in Montreal and Montreal is really known for its festivals. And one of the festivals that they host is Just for Laughs. And so one of my formative memories as a kid is going to the Just for Laughs festival in the summer and it's just such a surreal experience because like they have big names, right? So just for laugh, they film. And if you live in Canada, actually anywhere, like you could look it up, you see the performances that are on the big stages, but they actually do have like a street festival where you can wander around and there's just comedians like left and right on these mini stages. And you just kind of like duck into this little enclave. And there are these people you've never heard of doing this set. Uh, and it really, yeah, I just loved it. I loved laughing with a bunch of people. It's so fun. Uh, I don't tend to leave the house. So I haven't seen many comedians live, but the one that I did, uh, I bought a ticket to Eddie Izzard uh, and I absolutely would go see her again. She's super formative for me. Uh, I love her comedy and she is one of the people whose bits I just listened to on MP3 over and over and over again. 
and I do listen to a lot of different comedians who I would love to see live, but I never think to buy tickets. <laughs> I never think about it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. I thought of some, someone I would see. Okay. I'm sure I'm only thinking of this because of the topic of the book today, but uh, there is a, a comedian who's from Canada uh, who lives in China, whose name is oh. Dashan. Uh, and he is a, he's a stand-up comic. He works in Mandarin. I've heard uh, of this guy. Yeah. But the style of stand-up he does is the traditional Chinese style of stand-up comedy, which it does exist. And is something I had heard of, even though I haven't heard of Rakugo. Uh, it's called Xiaosheng. And oh. um, he, I've, I've seen videos of him and he's pretty funny. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to claim he's like the funniest person I've ever seen or anything like that, but just because of our topic, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's a connection there. Okay, I would see him. In good, cool. That's a good answer. Would you try to see him in Mandarin? I mean, it, I guess it would have to be. Uh, I don't, <laughs> that's that's the problem. That's hard mode. I, see, I didn't even think about that. This is how little <laughs> in-person show is. It's like, oh wait, there wouldn't be any subtitles then. <laughs> we need. I'd have to find the rare occurrence where he's doing something in English. Those do happen, but they don't happen very often because like, yeah. we're not his audience. Yeah, yeah. It's wild because that, that guy in particular, like I've seen news clips with him where they, they bring him on sometimes. It's like, we need an opinion on China. You're actually Canadian, <laughs> so come talk to us. And he's, and he's really like, funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm ridiculously famous in China, but in Canada, no one has any idea. <laughs> he is the most famous Canadian in the world. Wow. <laughs> well, because a billion and a half people yeah. know Yeah, that makes sense. It's so wild to think about. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. Anyway, that's a good, good answer. Good answer. Good answer, team. Thank yeah. you for uh, let's let's all relate to comedy. And I think like that's a much easier bridge for us because yeah, before this, I had never heard of Rakugo. Uh, and JD, you said you never heard of Rakugo. I, Jeff, you actually lived in Japan. Did you know what Rakugo was? So so yeah, I was gonna say like you know I lived in Japan for two and a half years, and I you know I I went to a sumo. I saw like a Kabuki theater. Um, you know, I saw Taiko drums. I've never heard of Rakugo. Um, but I was going to say, cause I, I was sort of interested in this. I, I assumed that go was the same particle that's in language, like ego and Nihongo. Yeah. I like looked it up. And so Raku is, uh, fallen. So it's actually fallen. Oh. So okay. when the title is descending stories, it's basically like a different way of sort of saying Rakugo because okay. you can translate as like fallen words. Okay. Okay. You know what? All right. Kadansha, we'll bring it back. We'll let that one fly. <laughs> we'll let that one fly. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about Descending Stories today and it's about Rakugo. It was published by Kadansha Comics. It was serialized from 2010 to 2016. It is only 10 volumes long which makes it quite short for a manga. And I have read the whole thing. <laughs> like I said, I stumbled across it randomly and just became obsessed and I've read the whole thing now. Uh, there's also an anime adaptation that aired in 2016 and is 25 episodes long. I've watched all that as well. Uh, and it's one of the rare ones where I actually do recommend both the manga and the anime. I feel like they, they take different takes on it and both have their strengths. I think the manga version does a much better job of explaining to people who don't know what Rakugo is, what Rakugo is, uh, and also like has a much gentler 
even though it's a pretty steep curve getting into this book, is I think it's gentler in the manga than it is in the anime. But mm. the anime brings so much texture and color to this and like sound because I feel like the sound is very important to this story. So if you're interested, if you enjoy the manga, try to check out the anime as well. There's also a live action adaptation that's 10 episodes long, which I don't think I'm ever going to get to see. And that makes me sad. <laughs> uh, this comic was nominated for the Manga Taisho Award and also the Tezuka Cultural Prize, but it did not win. And I have a little bit about the author, but not very much. So it was kind of hard to find information about uh, Haruko Kumota. I did find out that she had done two series before this. So she'd done a couple of Tankobon and then she did Descending Stories, which was kind of her breakout success. And then she kind of continued some of these other stories, uh, but they're both boy love title. So known as BL, Mr. By the Window and Nobara and My Darling Kitten Hair. I know nothing about any of these other than their boy love. Descending Stories is not a boy love comic and Haruko herself does not consider it a boy love comic. But it does have boy love vibes, and so that's why it doesn't surprise me at all. Like, I, I continued reading it. I'm like, where is this going? Yeah, I was like, I'm going to ask about that, because I know you've read more of this than I have. It, it sure felt like this was, like, there was going to be a relationship at some point here between the two main characters. Yeah, I, I've read the whole thing, and I can say there is not. Okay. There is not a relationship between any of the male characters. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I know that Haruko went on to write The Great Passage, which was an adaptation, and she has a very cute Shetland sheepdog, <laughs> as I snooped on her Twitter, but couldn't really discern much else from that, because it was all in Japanese, so, uh, yeah, that's Descending Stories. Uh, I'm gonna do a summary, because I, I really, like, I, I had never heard of this. Maybe I'm just, like, living in a hole but I don't expect many people to have heard of this story before. So as we mentioned, kind of Rakugo is this performing art that's kind of like old-timey stand-up comedy. The main storyline of this comic begins in the 1980s-ish, at a time when Rakugo is unpopular and kind of dying out because TV and radio and other styles of comedy are ascending. So um, the story opens on a man who is released from jail after serving his sentence and while he was in jail, he saw Yakumo, the other central figure of this comic, perform a Rakugo story called God of Death. And he basically got obsessed with Yakumo, the Rakugo artist. And right after being released from jail, he went straight to the theater, <laughs> found his butler, and like accosted him and basically begged to become his apprentice. He is a total outsider. So he didn't know that Yakumo Yakumo the Eighth, I should say, is his name. Yakumo is notorious for never having taken an apprentice. Uh, it's normally considered very common for shisho, for masters of Rakugo, to take on a lot of apprentices to carry on the art, but he has never done it. But for some random reason, the Rakugo artist Yakumo takes a shine to this guy, names him Yotaro, which means vaguely fool in Rakugo parlance. It's like uh, an just, archetype, right? They, yes. they have like these stock characters and Yotaro is one of the stock characters, apparently. Yeah. So he just names him and takes him home basically like a pet. So at that point, <laughs> Yotaro meets Konatsu, a woman who's also living at Yakumo's home. And she's not thrilled about this. 
eventually we learned that this girl is the daughter of another famous Rakugo performer whose name is Sukeroku. And we also learned that women are banned from performing Rakugo, even though she, she seems to have like some innate talent for it and she really, really wishes she could. Uh, and we also kind of learned that Yakumo is dedicated to letting Rakugo die with him. And that's double the double suicide of the title. So he's he's dedicated his life to this art, but then he's like, after me, no more Rakugo. When I die, it goes with me. And that's why he's never taken on an apprentice. So Yotaro, you know, slowly warms up Yakumo. You know, he, he's kind of a silly guy. And he basically gets on his good side. And after, you know, almost getting expelled a couple of times, he finally does convince Yakumo to take him on as a proper apprentice. But Yakumo makes him make three promises. And the first is that he will memorize all Rakugo in order to find his own voice. Number two, he will find a way forward for Rakugo in the future. And number three, he will not die before Yakumo. <laughs> and then kind of the end of these two books is Yakumo finally opening up about the history of him and Sukeroku, who has died. And that's kind of the, the thread of the first two books. So yeah, this is, I would say, manga hard mode. So <laughs> I, I brought uh, a manga, I brought Your, Your Lion April to the group before which I think at the time I said is like, this is, this is manga easy mode. This is like beat for beat, a classic manga executed very well. This one is not that. This is, you know, there's every character has multiple names. The, the curve to get into what the heck is going on is very steep. There's a lot of complicated honorifics. There's a lot of complicated cultural nuance. But I personally was really drawn in by these characters and this story. So yeah, I'm keen to hear what the two of you think. Uh, okay, so uh, like I said, I didn't know anything about uh, Rakugo going in, and it took me quite a while reading the book to figure out what it actually was, but I do feel like by the end of reading these two volumes, I do have a pretty good idea of what Rakugo is, despite the limitations that this is a manga, it doesn't have sound, it doesn't have kind of the subtle movements or facial expressions that a Rakugo performer does, but what I did is after I had read these two volumes, I went on YouTube to look up Rakugo and lo and behold, there's Rakugo on YouTube. Uh, and in fact, the first hit was the, the, the same story about the God of Death. Oh, fantastic. Told by somebody else, of course, because he's yeah. not a fictional character. But yeah, it's like watching that video, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of what I thought it was. Okay, so yeah. good job uh, on the artist for like getting across the medium that a medium that I had no context for whatsoever and is presented to me in a format that is very different from what it actually is. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, it's an interesting story. I don't uh, regret reading it. I, I had fun reading it. I don't know that it's the kind of thing I would pick up otherwise, because it's just <laughs> it's like very so random. far outside any, any pre-established context. For sure. For sure. Jeff, how about you? Yeah, uh, you know what? I I bounced off this one a little bit, right? And it, it's I I think I warmed up to it more in volume two because I think I found the backstory of I guess well Yakumo I guess he has a different name back then, but like Yakumo and and Sukeroku like their past history I found more interesting than like 
when the book first opens, like the the kind of guy getting out of prison just was like such a like manga goofball. Like, and <laughs> it's like all he can do is flounder around and be ridiculous like all the time. And then of course there's like Konatsu's just like your traditional like put upon female character who doesn't get to do enough in the story. Like, I mean, I don't know. I think like, as I read it more, I think the story sucked me in. But I think the two big barriers I had to get past was I'm not a fan of the art. Uh-huh. Um, the way she draws necks drives me crazy. Like, <laughs> Interesting. I, I okay. not like how she draws necks. They're like way too thick. Like the jaw lines aren't right. And, and then this is one that I think is more about the translation. And I think it's not about the original work. I'd actually love to see a page of the original work because like the lettering, and I, and I will say like, I appreciate that they changed the lettering when they did the Rakugo. That was a smart decision on the part of the letterer. But like they do this other thing in translations that I hate, which is they scale the words to fit the balloons. So, oh, so like they're all different sizes. Yeah, yeah. Like variable sizes. And then there was one page, like page 58, which maybe they fixed this in the print edition, but like page 58, someone says, ah, and ah is not even centered in the, it's like hanging outside of the panel border. Like <laughs> they clearly just didn't put the text box in the right place. And like, I don't know, just like, I was just like, this lettering sucks. This is terrible oh, lettering. No. And like, again, like, the actual, what I was reading was okay, but just the fact that it was so badly lettered really took me out of it. And I don't know, I think like they they did convey what Rakugo is really well, like this idea that it's like you're playing different characters, you're changing your voice. That's what the change in letters was for. But it's like when you talked about, oh, an, a live, like a live action or a, an anime, I was like, oh, I bet this is more compelling when you can actually hear the voice change and like see the subtleties and the acting like I think they did as good as they can with the manga but like I Rakugo almost feels like that's part of the experience like I've been trying to write a story that involves stand-up comedy and one of the things I determined was like there was no point in me actually drawing someone on stage with a speech balloon and having a joke written in a speech balloon Mm. that like it was more about just someone walking on stage and then maybe showing the audience and their reaction and then having maybe a debrief about what was what happened how that performance went later but it's like it just I was like no don't show the comedy like don't actually try to convey the person on stage telling jokes because you can't do it in a comic form and do it justice and I almost feel like with the Rakugo it would almost, I think, be better if you just had someone backstage, like going, "Oh, now he's doing this. Oh, now he's doing that," or like showing. They do. The they do at times. So, like yeah, Sekiroku yeah. does talk about that, that. I think that makes it better. I think that yeah. makes it better than trying to actually show the performance. Yeah, um, I think I think I disagree because because I waited to watch the YouTube video after it hmm. was literally exactly how I imagined it in my head, and I had okay. my only data point was this book. So I I do okay. feel like I got. Like, at least I was able to reconstruct what that would be like in my head based on the the way it's done in the book. Yeah. Like, okay. With the different voices and with the facial expressions and like the, even the, the, the things that I find weird about Rakugo, like 
like it, we've been comparing it to stand-up comedy i think of it's kind of almost like halfway between stand-up comedy and like a radio play because okay. there's like fewer jokes and more story and like you're doing different characters I, I was gonna say it's it's almost like it's stand-up comedy if everyone who went on stage did their version of who's on first <laughs> like, kind like, of yeah it's, kind it's, of where there are these like <laughs> there are these bits right that are considered classic bits I think that's something that we're we're missing contextually where it's almost mm -hmm. like you're doing your rendition of a folk ballad almost but not yeah it's really interesting but yeah, anyways, it was really the, really the, interesting yeah the, the things that I find weird about it and weird as an outsider like coming to this for the first time are things like how there's no context for switching between characters like you just are suddenly a different character talking and you're supposed to just sort of like as the audience is supposed to realize, oh, there was a gap of time there. Oh, this is a new scene. Oh, this is like a new character with like no preamble to that. Yeah. And, and I feel like those things felt as weird reading the book as they did watching a performance. Ah, okay. Yeah, I also took my understanding of Rakugo solely from this book to start. And now having watched the anime, the reason why I recommend both is because I think the anime doesn't, like coming to the anime I actually even having seen the book I felt like I would have been con more confused just watching the anime because they spend less time actually explaining what's going on mm. right so the the book really takes its time and really introduces you to these characters you know it feels quickly when you especially when I was rereading it I'm like whoa man this moves fast but they do spend more time explaining who these characters are how they relate to each other, what Rakugo is, right. why they care, you know? And so as an outsider, I do think the manga does a better job. And I was just so impressed that they managed to convey something so specific and so not naturally, kind of like you said, it doesn't lend itself well to comics as, an, as a way to adapt it, but they managed to do it. And I was just really impressed. Yeah, I do feel like you're right, though, Jen. This is this is manga on hard mode. Yes, it is for sure. <laughs> like if for I sure. wasn't well versed in comics and manga, I don't know that I would have been able to make all those leaps. And even even just taking the notes, I'm like, everyone has three names. <laughs> yeah, and like some of the characters have the same name because you're passing the names down, and so it's like halfway through, you know, it's like you you meet this person, and he's dead. You go back in time, he has a completely different name, and then he changes names, and he's like, now my name is this, and it's like, oh, okay, and it's like, it's uh, which is is fine, and it it works okay, but it is a lot to keep track of, and I think it's a good thing that the characters in this manga do look very distinct, and uh, I actually did really like the art. I really like the way that the characters are drawn. As I mentioned, like this was such an odd out in left field discovery for me. And I was just so immediately drawn in by these characters because they feel so complex, even from the jump. You can tell there's a lot going on underneath their actions and mannerisms, and it does take time to unpack. And the payoff, so Jeff, I, I agree with you, like the, the storyline between the characters is what's more compelling about this mm -hmm. than necessarily Rakugo on its own I think not Rakugo is like set dressing for for what's going on uh and that that storyline does pay off really okay. well so over the course of 10 series if you enjoyed this storyline it does get even better and more complicated uh I mean, in a way that I found was really satisfying as a reader 
I mean, I will say like, I, like I said, I kind of bounced off volume one, but like I've almost finished volume three before we started recording. Cause like <laughs> I wanted to, I got into the, like the second book you leads you into the flashback, but then it stops. And I was like, wait, yeah. no, but I need to know more about the backstory. So yeah, I that's how they get you. Three, <laughs> like, oh, there we go. Like, but I also think that, I mean, maybe maybe the other part of it is um, the time period because like the flashbacks are during and post World War II, which yeah. is just like such a fascinating time in Japan's history because like there's so much change happening there. And it's like, even just that, that Rakugo itself is, it's only stories from the Edo period and it's like really fat, like that in and of itself is fascinating because it's sort of like, like I can't think of something comparable in North America, but it would be like if there was like a medium in North America where it's like, no, no, we only talk about knights in shining, shining armor. Like the, the closest thing for anything else. The closest thing I could come to was like a Ren fair. Mm. yeah ren fairs are always like it's very specific you don't gen like you have reenactments right but there's no ren fairs for other times right and everyone goes hard for like i'm going in the costume and we're doing the food and we have like the yeah. jousting or whatever you know and it's only this medieval period and i think the accuracy maybe is right yeah uh, freestyle of somewhat yeah <laughs> i mean i i've, I've like i mean I don't know enough, but I would say probably if you looked at a lot of the Edo period fetishization in Japan, you'd probably see similar anachronisms where mm. like, well, yeah, probably not everyone wore like a silk kimono, but we're all going to wear silk kimonos. Like, <laughs> yeah. The other analogy that I came up with is like a, a Punch and Judy show mm. where it's like a Punch and Judy. Do you know Punch and Judy? I don't think I know this. Oh, I uh, I've never actually seen one. Um, they're very British. Uh, very old it's like a puppet show for kids with stock characters and it's always the same characters always doing like basically the same things always like trapped in amber and with the time period that this was invented but never performed by the same people it's just like it, it it's a little bit it, it reminded me of rakugo in that sense where it's like an old art style that is meant to be done in person it's pre industrialization so it has to be done like by performers who are like different every time but people want to see the same thing that they know so it has to be like a new performance of the old story do you think then Shakespeare might be an okay analogy oh Ooh, yeah. yeah like a Shakespeare in the park kind of a thing like not big <laughs> performance Shakespeare on a stage necessarily but the idea that like okay we're just gonna like relive our tradition this is a story everybody knows we don't have to worry about like sets and costumes because you know who Romeo and Juliet are yeah, yeah that's a good analogy yeah. it would almost be like if if you went into a room and someone was standing on the stage and they were acting out every part of Hamlet right yes. mm -hmm. yeah yeah that would actually be a lot of fun I'd see that yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I think maybe yeah that's the closest I can think is that it's just like Oh, he's doing King Lear today. You know, like it's like there, you, there's a set stories that we all know, and then it's just like it's this person's interpretation of that story. And oh, well, uh, he, I really like the way he does his Lady Macbeth. You really yeah. believe that the blood is on her hands the way he talks. Like, 
Yeah. Uh, and and it, even among actors, like it's considered kind of a, a feather in your cap to do a Hamlet, right? And so like, oh yeah, have you seen Sir Patrick Stewart's Hamlet though? You know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know things like this. But yeah. you said something really interesting, Jeff, about the time period when, and I agree with you. So like the time period where this story takes place is, is very, very fascinating. And the fact that it comes up with this tradition that so many people care so much about and are fighting to preserve it, even though it's dying. And like industrialization is taking them in the eighties, you know, and things are changing, you know, there's this quip between Kikuhiko, who is, who becomes Yakumo and Sukuroku, where he's like, you know, Sukuroku, you gotta just get some Western clothes, man, get with the times. And he's like, no, I don't want to, I'm a Rakugo performer. I'm going to wear a kimono and it's fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I just felt that as a student of cultures in general, like one of my favorite things is to learn about different cultures and this felt so intimate because yeah. of this kind of very difficult time in their history. And it's, it's taking you inside. Like it's really giving you this insider's perspective, very, very deep, deep Japanese, right. About like, you know, they, they have the public baths, they have this weird relationship between people where it's like, you know what, I'm, I owe you a favor. So I'm just going to give you my son, please. You know, he's, he's not going to be a geisha because he can't dance. So please just <laughs> make him a Rakugo right. performer. Just right. very, very strange idiosyncrasies that just because they're presented to you, it gives it such a, an intimate feeling, I find. Yeah. And the, the other thing I found really fascinating about sort of the, the flashbacks was just like that they talked about how certain Rakugo stories were being banned by the regime the, fa the fascist regime that was taking over Japan at the time. So like you could tell certain Rakugo stories, but you can't tell other Rakugo stories, like only stories that glorify the empire and the emperor. Like yeah. you can't have like uppity peasants in your story or whatever. I can't remember the exact thing. It was, it was the body ones. So it was oh, the oh, sexy that was ones. That's yeah, right. They felt it was a bit immoral. Thing. No yeah. sexy Rakugo anymore because it's, it's, deviant or whatever yeah like yeah um and it, like I, I found that really fascinating like this sort of art form being censored by you know the the empire and and then of course like I also found it a little dubious though because then at another point the main character goes off to China like to the front lines to like entertain the troops while World yeah. War II is going on. In Manchuria. Well, the worst parts of World Manchuria. War II. Like yeah. Manchuria was like awful. Yeah. yeah. And and like, I mean, they talk about it and I know that maybe this isn't what the story's really about. But for me, I was like, oh man, I want to know more about like being a Rakugo artist in Manchuria. <laughs> like what the hell was that? Like <laughs> it, was, it was super glossed over. And unfortunately they don't go back into that. But it is kind of a really interesting detail where this is the, the color of the time period, right? Where it's like, look, Kikuhiko, you can't go to work because your leg is bad. So you right. just got to go to the country and work in a factory. And, you know, he just seems so resigned to it. He's like, all right. And then all the other Rakugo performers above him in training, they're like, we got to go to work. Sorry. You know, <laughs> and then just like disappears. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then they go to Manchuria and they come back with a consort. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, oh, anyway, this was my mistress from Manchuria. Shh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
my mistress <laughs> who's now gonna like throw herself at you uh yeah. <laughs> like awkward i mean i don't i don't know a lot about geisha i mean japan really doesn't want outsiders to know too much about geisha anyways but like that they have this geisha character was really fascinating to sort of touch on that and it seems like rakugo it sort of ties in with that whole like you know you go to this tea house and like maybe there's a geisha playing a shamisen and then some rakugo artist performs and like you know like i mean i've seen you know kabuki theater and it's like all this it's all this Edo period culture that is just like cast in amber in Japan that like still exists to this day. It's just really fascinating, like the the way that it's so ever present in Japan, even now, right? Like, like a lot of like all these people in kimono, like I know part of it is like, oh, it's a long time ago. People are still wearing kimono, but like spring festival, you're gonna see everyone wearing kimono because like you go to Kyoto, everyone just dresses up in kimonos for fun. Yeah. yeah like I mean, well, and this is I mean. This is like a sidebar, but like when you're like a white guy in Japan, like they think it's so cool if you wear a kimono. They want, oh, they love it when you dress up like a Japanese person. They're like, oh, he thinks he's Japanese. Look at him. He's wearing a Japanese costume. It's hilarious. Good for you. And then you like go back to North America and people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, context is everything, right? Context like, is everything. Yeah. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really one thing I found really interesting, and this is kind of only fully fleshed out in the footnotes at the end of one of the volumes is because the, the whole story arc that we're shown, at least for the quote unquote present day part of the story in the 80s, there's this sort of idea that Rakugo is dying off, it's going to disappear, this is the last generation, but then you look at the footnotes and it's like, no, that's not actually what's happened, it's like, we're, we're writing this in 2016 and there's plenty of Rakugo still around. Yeah. I was going to say there was like, I think that in volume one, the thing I found the most compelling was like the little tiny, like, like three or four page mini comic at the very end that was like, I agree. I agree about the actual Rakugo and like FYI, Rakugo still being performed to this day. And I was like, whoa, like that's, yeah. Like, tell me more about that. They have like a little guide where they're like, here are where the Rakugo uh, Yosei generally are in Tokyo and you know you just like roll up and you buy a ticket and you can just walk right in you know yeah. don't don't eat loud snacks but you can probably have snacks and yeah. uh I just felt like so welcomed you know and I think it's just a nice invitation like perhaps just kind of a on the behalf of the artist just like making sure you know it is alive and well but these traditions have to be passed on for them to to survive yeah it I feels mean, like, I mean, I don't know the end of the story, but it feels like that's kind of the the theme of the story, yeah. probably. And I, I assume this is probably going to come up. Like, don't tell me, because spoilers. <laughs> no, no spoilers. When I was looking on YouTube for Rakugo, like, there were plenty of female Rakugo performers. So <laughs> I feel like there's some foreshadowing there. <laughs> yeah, I would say, like, it does, it does go to those places. Okay. No spoilers. There is a satisfying end, both narratively and for Rakugo. So, like, I I thoroughly enjoyed these ten volumes. I felt they were a really satisfying chunk of story. Although there was like one weird thing right at the end, like in the last volume. Maybe it was like the second to last one. I'm pretty sure it's the last volume. There's just like this one twist, which I won't tell you about. But I'm I'm so 
ugh, it's like just one twist that I'm like, what the hell? And so if anyone has actually read these 10 volumes, please email me. I have no one to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll read more, but oh, okay. I'm almost done volume three. Okay, um, okay. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I think she's becoming a better artist. Uh, I do feel like volume. the art was better in volume two. I, like I had some of the same reservations as you did, Jeff, for volume one. Uh, I really like the character designs, but some of the execution of the characters is like, eh, it, it'll do. It's serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a little sparse. I was surprised too, like going back to volume one. I'm like, oh, this is actually a little rougher than I remember. And so I, I agree it does get better. And I think this is kind of her, let's say, proper debut. Mm. Whereas like, uh, you know, it's like a genre, genre thing. BL is like a genre thing where, you know, if you're writing very deep in a genre, you can get away with more <laughs> yep. Yep. Than, than you necessarily can when you're in the quote unquote mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think because this is kind of her in debut in the mainstream, it took a, a while to find her footing. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't know too much about it. Yeah. But I will say, like, now that you mentioned that she had done BL, as soon as they got into the flashback stuff, like, I just was like, they're going to kiss, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then, like, then it suddenly, like, the geisha shows up and it's like, they're trying to do this love triangle. And I'm like, yeah, but no, but they're both gay, right? Like, I don't know. I just, like... The way she drew, like, I don't know. It just, I feel like the way she drew the scenes with the characters and the way the dialogue was, like, I was just like, so these guys are really gay for each other, right? Like, yeah, I think like (laughs) um, it is an unrequited love, mild spoilers. Okay. I think Yakumo feels very deeply for Sukuroku in a way that is not, reciprocated in the same way i think okay, i'll take that i'll accept that because it feels like there's a if without that it feels like uh, I, mean, I don't know maybe i mean it's written in 2016 and this is not atypical for stories written in 2016 but feels like it's a lot of like a whole lot of like blowing smoke into a room without there ever being any fire sure <laughs> yeah i think i think it's a strong subtext so there's there's also like you know in in the queer community there's you know uh, the concept of queer baiting, yeah, and how you kind of have to look for these things in subtext and there's also kind of the complication of BL as a culture and a genre where these things are made very text you know and then there's versions where it's subtext and so they do leave it in subtext, but I think the subtext is fairly clear. But yeah, my my read on it, having read the whole thing, is that Yakumo has some pretty clear feelings that aren't reciprocated. Sukeroku probably sees him like as a brother or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sukeroku's definitely the one philandering with the ladies and such. But this is like, yeah, like anytime they tried to convince me that Yakumo actually had interest in a woman I was like no but yeah I know even like Miku Hiku when she comes and it's like he's gay sweetie <laughs> it's yeah, not yeah. gonna work out <laughs> like <laughs> but it made it, it made it fun I thought <laughs> the fact that it was very it, it's consistent let's put it this way like even if it's not explicit it is consistent in right. the way that these characters are written which right. makes it very interesting and so it's almost like an unrequited love triangle 
where you mm. have Miyokichi really wants to get with Yakumo. Yakumo really wants to get with Sukuroku. Sukuroku really wants to get with Miyokichi in the end of it. <laughs> and so right. it gets really, really complicated really fast and in a fascinating way. And I think like the, the characterization as it goes on, like these, these characters feel very real. They don't feel like cartoon characters where they have these layers to their feelings and they get mixed up in like their their role in society you know like I can't just do whatever I want and then you have a character who does do whatever he wants and he's like ah you're messing everything up by doing what you want you know (laughs) so there's there's real consequences and even though it is high drama it does feel really realistic and human in a way that I felt was refreshing kind of like how your line April did feel kind of cartoony you know, where it's like, oh, okay, whatever, this is the boy meets girl and the girl is like supernaturally beautiful and like birds literally come to hang out with her or whatever. <laughs> like it didn't, it, it was compelling. And I really did like that story, but it didn't feel as layered and human as, as this story felt. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah. I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, this is not a, a fully formed thought, but I feel like maybe there's a connection between having characters that at first seem to be these sort of stock characters from manga uh, who then it turns out have more depth and maybe there's a connection there to the Rakugo stock characters. Perhaps. Like there are these character types in the art form, but if you're doing the art form really well, they feel like they have more depth. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to, I like that. I, I just really like artists talking about art, but using a different medium as their platform because I would not be as in I mean we read Bakuman which is yeah, a comic about making meta. comics but that feels way less compelling than a comic and there's so that's... many comics about comics I know I, exactly. we, we've done that's a few comics about music which have been interesting yeah yeah, yeah. I, I like that sort of that extra distance of like oh I'm writing about myself but like we're gonna pretend I'm writing about music uh writers writing about writing I also can't <laughs> exactly yeah we've not talked about that too it's a whole thing is there a lost art that you would love to see explored in this way oh yes i'm sure oh man you know what would be fun and again this is Mm. i'm thinking on our subject matter this is why i'm thinking of this but i would and there might this might exist it probably does but i would love to read a manga about ukiyo-e artists like the woodblock print people like hokusai and whoever because that was like a popular art from that's where we get the word manga from is from like drawings of sketches that were mass produced by a woodblock and sold to regular people for like artistic entertainment yeah i was i mean it would be great to have that transition period of the ukiyo-e changing over to print yeah because like literally that's where manga started is yeah. like all these woodblock artists were out of work because no one wanted woodblock art anymore. And they started like drawing comic strips for like magazines, which were just starting up in Japan. Yeah. Have you ever seen the film, The Artist? No. It's quite good, but it's a, it's a film about the transition from silent film to talkies. Mm. And it's, it's a silent film produced I, in like the 2020s or no, not the 2020s, sorry, like the 2010s. Mm-hmm. I just really, that. really compelling. Yeah. So that that kind of falls into this this area a little bit, except it's more meta because it's about film. Uh, I'd be really interested in something like I'm reminded by Shakespeare and the concept of a, a touring bard, right? Mm. Or a touring theater troupe. 
I feel like we don't have a lot of good literature of what that was really like, you know, like we have Dungeons and Dragons of like the concept of a bard, but it doesn't feel. <laughs> or I was, I, don't know. <laughs> I was recently reading a little bit. I didn't get too far into this about like the history of clowning and how oh, this like long European tradition of like people who just like do clown performances. And again, there's these kind of these stock characters who they perform as a character you've heard of, but it's like different people every time. A doctor I am, Pagliacci. <laughs> that would be interesting. Clowning is kind of, or mime? Yeah, it's like, I, I really struggled because I was so drawn in and fascinated by this. I felt a little bit of almost grief because I couldn't think of an art form that we take so seriously in, in a North American context. Movies, it's movies. You think it's movies? Absolutely, we're obsessed with movies. We are like, our culture is uh, obsessed with movies in the same way that like people in the 1700s were obsessed with opera. It's yes. Not, it's not a thing until it's a movie. Yeah, True. like no book is real until they've made a movie out of it. Yeah. Movie version of Descending Stories one. <laughs> like people will like willingly allow their entire town to be shut down because someone is saying, oh, they're filming a movie. And I was like, oh, okay. Really it's okay true. that they closed down Main Street. It's for a movie. Yeah. They filmed Rambo and Hope and in like the 80s and they still won't shut up about it. <laughs> <Make a> statue. <laughs> and yet some And they wrote a song about it. The, the hip. They they right. they filmed the movie once in my hometown. I think that's about Rambo being filmed in Hope. <laughs> so it goes like three layers deep. Yeah. Yeah. And like but I don't know. This is something I put in Phobos and Demos is the idea that what if the fate of movies is the same as the fate of offer where someday people just won't care about movies anymore. I thought that was cute. I liked the way that Titanic became, uh, not, not to diverge too far, but like <laughs> uh, in John's comic, in JD's comic, Phobos and Deimos, there's a scene where the two characters go to a showing of the Titanic, uh -huh. but JD's comic takes place in the- 500 years in the future, something <laughs> stupid like that. Okay, uh, and it basically turns into a, a meme, like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Exactly. Where they yeah. bring props and they like throw it at the screen and if there's a newbie, they have to do something, so. Yeah, yeah, and like the main character has never seen a movie before, but the other character is like, oh yeah, like people go to movies. If you know movies, you've been to Titanic before. Yeah, and it does have the same kind of class undertones in that way, where if, you've, if, if you're a modern person and you've been to seen an opera, that's kind of a, a class marker. <laughs> uh -huh. And yet it way. wasn't in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, um, I mean, just that is one thing that was kind of compelling about the first part of the story in, in contrast is like uh, to, the, to the flashback is that like, you know, you're being introduced to this medium as it's, as it's quote unquote dying out, right? And when you think like, oh, some guy just sits on a stage and tells you a story and it's the 1980s, you're like, oh, but there's like MTV and like <laughs> all this, like, especially in Japan in the 80s, because everyone's getting filthy rich, all this North American cultures like pouring in, like of who wants to listen to some old guy tell you a story from the Edo period, right? And like, it's also like, it, it has cachet, like American culture has like this cool factor and everyone's trying yeah. to get in on it at that period of time, I think. 
Oh yeah. I mean, still, I think, but I mean, we can have a whole separate podcast about Japan's obsession with American culture, but, um, well, I mean, this is a podcast about our obsession with Japanese culture. So I feel like, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It was, it's kind of heartening to know that I was actually, like, I found it really heartening to hear that Rakugo is like still being performed to this day. I was like, wow, like they actually made it work. Like, that's amazing. It's amazing that people will still take that in. I mean, and not just in Japan, like this is uh, one of the two YouTube things I I saw. This was the performer who was a woman. She was like, she was performing one of the things in English. Like oh, wow, really? Audience. Oh, oh, please link that. I do. I, yeah. Okay, I'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it was interesting. She was like, at the start, she was like, maybe doing a little bit more stand-up comedy stuff where she was like talking about herself at the, to start with before getting into a story uh, and, and talking about all these other countries she's performed Rakugo in and different audiences wow. around the world. And it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty great given yeah. the, the context from this story where everyone thinks it's not going to last. Yeah. It, I don't know, like, there's something beautiful about, like, how lo-fi it is, like, yeah, like, it's, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's like, with, with the way the, everything in the world's going, soon enough, the only way you're going to get entertained is one guy <laughs> telling you a story. So, like, everything else is going to be gonna owned be by Amazon. Amazon. Okay, everything else is fake news, written yeah. by a robot. So it's like, I, well, literally telling it to you. <laughs> we'll be huddled around the oil drum with a fire in it, and that one guy will tell us the story. He'll reenact all of Star Wars. He'll play all the characters. Just yeah, like, it's like that's when we were really need media, all of our media because we're obsessed with movies and we're just dying to preserve these stories. And we okay, have to do like the songs weird. and everything. Like, oh yeah, like pop music total- becoming like folk music. And this is a total tangent, but I was watching Strange New Worlds and they had a scene with Spock and they had the battle music, which was the theme from Kirk versus the Gorn. And it was like, oh, it hit me so hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I can and see that. That tracks. We'll be we'll be reenacting Star Trek episodes around. The, um, have either of you seen the Kabuki production of last jedi no that sounds amazing it's it is amazing it works so well again it's on youtube okay youtube is such a blessing right now (laughs) yeah i don't know i think that's that's cool i mean it it, honestly it makes me glad that i have gone to see like some theater like i've seen some shakespeare on i've seen some bard on the beach i've seen some performances on stage and like and many comedians yeah and many comedians like I I do think uh, especially in this day and age there's something really amazing about just that singular experience like think about it like as you mentioned with all of the competing fanfare and technology that we have now the fact that one person can stand on a stage in front of 500 people and hold them captivated just with their voice and the stories that they're telling is incredible and I think should be cherished yeah yeah you know I mean now yeah I feel like stand-up comedy is probably the closest equivalent to Rakugo it's that idea because it is the one performer and like even if it's not the same story that everyone tells like it's definitely you know it's like oh is he gonna do 
that joke. He's going to yeah, do the joke. Bit. Yeah. All. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, he's retired. Callbacks and you can quote yeah. them. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and Eddie Izzard also is kind of very good at doing multiple multiple characters in one scene so she does very good she does very well with that <laughs> but it's it's fun I don't know I enjoyed learning about this little piece of culture <laughs> yeah oh yeah I mean I think that yeah learning about Rakugo was a highlight and then just some of the getting more into the history it's it's a period of time that is not talked about and you know it, it, for obvious reasons uh in Japan like the build-up two and then the repercussions of world war two it's like you know it's not a time period that's covered very often and very well and so i appreciate that they even brushed up against the edges of that because like i mean what when i lived in japan it's like every august they play air raid sirens and you're like oh what's going on they're like oh this is uh when america like bombed the shit out of us and we had to (laughs) surrender uh it surrender in the war and i'm like oh and like they would have photos like the town i lived in was like a parking lot like it it was where a munitions plant was so they the americans bombed it they flattened the whole town wow which is carpet bombing uh and you know they'll talk about that they'll talk about all the like destruction and then rebuilding but like if you're like but why was it that America wanted to drop all those bombs on you. Oh, I'm, you know, there's stuff happens. Hmm. hmm. What's, uh, why is, why is Korea so mad at you guys? I, you know, uh, still a long time ago, stuff happened. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> very strange. It's very strange how these scars can echo for so long. Mm-hmm. And, and in I different ways we, in different places yeah we still have a lot to learn about dealing with those scars I mean, I think. yeah we're we're not yeah we, we're not dealing with all our stuff either no uh, not at all <laughs> don't get me wrong i'm not we looked at the news today. i'm not i'm not holding canada up as an example um but it is it was just i mean maybe it's easier to digest as a canadian in japan where like you're you don't have a horse you're an outsider yeah it's definitely it's definitely complex and i like having these lenses into it Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it's one of the great powers of fiction i think is mm -hmm. to be able to uh in some cases dive right into the uncomfortable stuff uh like barefoot again is maybe a book we should read at some point yeah um or just even just lightly brush up against it like this one does and say, oh, there's a thing there. You could go investigate if you wanted to. Yeah, it's like, hmm, what was going on here? I don't know. Maybe I'll <laughs> it would have, yeah, I would have, I would have, I think I would have liked, I would have liked this book even more if they had spent some more time talking about Manchuria. I feel like and... that would be a really, really good, but very different book. I yeah, I was gonna say there'd probably be a lot less of a fun, less fun to read, I think. But um, <laughs> but you know, I mean that that it, it did offer some good perspective and like, yeah, I don't know, it's very Japanese. Like, I think if you really wanna, I think I will say I will say that like I think I had less trouble with like the honorifics and the idea of people having different names because like that stuff, I was like, oh yeah, okay, like it's that the different tiers of of being Japanese like okay like I kind of get that 
like it, it fit it fit into my previous understanding fairly easily. So, uh, but I'd never heard of Rakugo, so it was really neat to learn more about it. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to, it's going to hold me when it goes back to the eighties, but I think I'm going to keep reading the rest of this flashback. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. I'm enjoying this flashback a lot. I think that see how far I get. Okay, cool. Next, next episode, we can, you can ask me how far I've gotten with descending stories. I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, JD? Would you recommend this book or would um, you have to force two other people to read it? I I would recommend it, but with a caveat that this is, as you said, manga on hard mode. Like this is not going to be easy, not because it's like full of difficult material, just because it's like full of very unfamiliar material with like very little lead in. You just got to like go with it and figure it out as you go. Yeah, and I, I do appreciate that in, in a story. Like I I like reading in hard mode. That's that's a fun thing to do. You got to know that going in. Yeah, I, I agree. So I dragged this. This gave me serious brain worms and I had to drag it here. But if you're not afraid of manga hard mode <laughs> and you really love history and learning about other cultures and complex personal relationships with a lot of drama, I recommend this story, but it is not for enough casuals. <laughs> Stay out. <laughs> Not for casual, only real manga fans. <laughs> not, not to gatekeep or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to gatekeep. If you if you earn your stripes by listening to our our manga apps, you can challenge yourself with this one. It's really, do... The payoff, the payoff is there. I will say that. Okay, payoff. that's good to know. Super uh, is there. Are we gonna do shoutouts? Uh, sure. All I have to shout out is Star Trek. <laughs> Just I mean, watching a lot of Star Trek lately. I've, I mean, you got me started on this. I'm going to thank you because I'm just starting season four of The Next Generation. And I think I might just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have the time, but I might just go from finishing Next Gen right into Deep Space Nine again. And then I'll finally, for the first time ever, watch all of Voyager. I, oh, uh, I'm going to, uh, can I shout out two things? Yes, I think I have a second one that I forgot. <laughs> uh, I'm, okay, first of all, speaking of Star Trek, actually, uh, <laughs> I have a story in a anthology that is should, I think, still be fundraising when this episode gets released. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, I'm the one who has to get it edited, so if it's not ready, it's my fault. But the book is called Failure to Launch. It's an anthology of uh, true stories about inventions that never came to be. And I wrote a story about Star Trek and how Star Trek economics has not, we have not been given a roadmap for how to do that. I, I've got the privilege of being able to read it ahead of time. And I think it's great. I've already backed that project. You all, <laughs> all of you listeners out there should also back it. It's going to be a good, good comic. That's exciting. Uh, and then the, the shout out that I actually had prepared was uh, Spinning by Tilly Walden. Oh yeah, I actually uh, haven't read Spinning yet. She, it's uh, I, it was not quite what I expected. I've read books of hers before and like them. This one's on a bio, which I didn't know it would be, and it's um, different, definitely different from the others, but still good. Okay. Oh man, Jeff, did you do a shout out? I mean, I kind of just latched myself onto your Star Trek shout out, but I 
what had uh, before we started recording i had said i was going to shout out uh ted lasso um which yeah, fun. I'm, I'm late to the party but man that is like a super wholesome show i don't think i've seen anything else recently that celebrates being kind to people and being vulnerable to people and like being rewarded for that kindness and vulnerability um it's like a super wholesome lovely little breath of fresh air especially in the times we are living in so yeah it's on it's on apple tv so as usual almost no one can see it but ted lasso on apple tv it's a lot of fun nice all right my secondary shout out is a new cartoonist cooperative has launched and you can find it at cartoonist.coop uh, it's by a bunch of indie cartoonists who, in the wake of some terrible things happening in comics, a series of terrible events stretching back several years, uh, they've decided to band together and mutually support each other in promotion and resource sharing. Uh, so if you are a fan of comics, I recommend checking it out and subscribing to their newsletter to get to know of some cool new comics that are happening. And if you are a cartoonist, definitely check it out and see if it's the right fit for you. All right, so uh, I think our next book is going to be Nina's book. Uh, Jeff, do you want to tell us what our next book is going to be? Sure. Uh, we're going to have special guest Nina Matsumoto uh, in, and we are going to talk about Mad Love, the 2017 deluxe edition, which is going to be a, a Batman Harley Quinn story. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and support us on Ko-fi. 